Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Where I want to begin this morning, though, is a conversation not about that essay, but about an important issue that maybe we need to be discussing, not just in Alberta, but in this country. Of course, when I say that essay, I mean that essay that won third place, the bronze medal in that essay contest that the Alberta government had uh, sponsored for young women. Now, without rehashing all of the issues around that, you know, we can put aside some, you know, the crazy notions about, you know, great replacement theory or antiquated and offensive notions about women's place in society. And we can have a rational conversation about the fact that we aren't having enough babies in this country. I think maybe th- there was somehow maybe that was one of the points that was this uh, essay writer was trying to raise. And again, putting all the, the nutty stuff. There are some important issues that we do need to be discussing in this country about our birth rate, about our productivity. And certainly we we need and should be welcoming immigration to this country. It's not either or, as maybe that essay writer uh, kind of alluded to. Uh, some of these issues really laid out in, in great detail in, in a fascinating new piece up at the uh, Substack newsletter, The Line. Joining us to talk about it is the author of that piece and a new arrival here in Alberta himself, as a matter of fact, Rahim Mohammed, uh, a freelance writer and commentator based now in Calgary. Rahim, great to finally talk to you. Welcome to the program. Yes, Rob, thank you so much for having me, and thank you for your interest in my writing. It's great to be here. Well, and I thought it was really interesting because, you know, you make the point that, look, rational people should be having this conversation. We shouldn't be leaving it to, to you know, the cranks and the bigots. Mm. So what is the issue that we, we do need to be talking about, do you think? Well, if you look at Canada, um, even before the pandemic, um, Canada has lagged the other English-speaking countries um, in terms of our fertility rates. So you look at the United States, United Kingdom, Australia, um, New Zealand, they're all at about 1.7 births per women. Um, the United States has, uh, sorry, Canada has lagged that level for quite some time. Um, just in 2020, we hit a record low of 1.4 births per women, um, which wasn't just due to the pandemic. Um, fertility in Canada had been on a declining trend throughout the 2010s. Um, and 1.4 births per women is right at the point where demographers say, hey, government should start to worry about fertility um, being a drag on the economy, um, being a drag on a lot of the social services, um, which tend to be geared to older citizens um, and sh- should start to ponder interventions um, to potentially increase a country's fertility rate. And Canada is right at that level. Um, and it doesn't seem to me like we're having that conversation yet. Right. And this is directly related to the whole conversation around an aging population and mm. the implications of that. I mean, population's always aging. The question is, uh, you know, what percentage of the population is in that category? And do we have the young workers, the younger tax base to sustain all of that? And, and that's where we, we seem to have gotten into trouble in this country. Sure. Um, so I think um, in the 2010s, for the first time in history, um, there are more seniors in Canada age 65 and older um, than there are children age 14 and under. Um, and when you think about the number of social services that I think rightly 
um, you know, cater to older folks. I mean, you think of the pension system, you think of healthcare. Um, we're getting to a situation where there's a smaller and smaller pool of workers, um, you know, who are in their prime working years, um, supporting a larger and larger pool of seniors. Um, and thus far, Canada has been successful in using immigration as a, some, somewhat of a stopgap measure mm-hmm. um, to uh, delay dealing with the consequences of that lopsided population period. Um, but there are a number of reasons to think that we won't be able to do that in perpetuity. So you don't think immigration alone, then, is, is the answer? Well, for the time being, um, so Canada has been fortunate um, in that we have an immigration system that allowed us to cater to skilled immigrants um, who can come to Canada, who can step into some of the most in-demand uh, fields. You know, they come with job-ready skills, they come with job-ready training, and thus far they've been able to um, jump right into a number of the most in-demand fields in Canada. Um, at the extent to which that's going to continue, I think, is... Um, up for debate. It's an open discussion. I, I think um, there are a number of reasons to think that uh, those immigrants might stay closer to home um, as countries like China and India develop their own knowledge-intensive industries. Um, so they develop um, they develop companies like Huawei, companies like Tata. Um, the, they develop demand for for skilled workers. Um, and I think increasingly, as other Western societies age, um, Canada is going to be put in a position where, where we're going to have to compete um, for skilled talent, for demand foreign talent, um, and might lose out on that competition um, to more desirable locations. All right. So when we talk about increasing Canada's birth rate, it, it can become delicate or, or controversial because mm-hmm. we need to understand why the birth rate has dropped and then, you know, to turn it around and say, well, how can how can we increase that rate? So, you know, some might fear, OK, now we're putting undue pressure on, on women, that women aren't having uh, enough babies. They need to have more. Uh, and it sort of gets into that realm of almost some of the issues that, that became so controversial in, in this uh, essay that we alluded to. So mm-hmm. what's the right way to approach that conversation? Do you think? So if you go out and ask women, particularly married women, um, I think most of them, um, if you look at public opinion polls on this topic, um, most of them actually end up having fewer children than they want. Um, so most of them, um, the average across Canada, if you poll married couples, is, you know, we want two to three children. Um, most of them are having between one and two children, and it's not so much a culture change. Um, like a lot of issues in Canada, it comes down to affordability. Um, between the cost of housing and the cost of childcare, uh, we've made it virtually impossible for fam, um, for a family to sustain itself on one income, and we've made it almost as difficult for a two-income family to afford childcare. Um, so at this point, something's got to give, and unfortunately, um, families end up having fewer children um, than ideally they would want. Well, it almost seems like a paradox in a way because, you know, we've tried to build up this social safety net that in part is meant to support families, maternity leave, subsidized child care, the child care benefit, all of that. But it hasn't resulted in, in a higher birth rate. Maybe ironically enough, then the taxes we need to sustain all of that in and of itself is a deterrent. So we put those policies in place, um, but they haven't expressly, there, there hasn't expressly been a strategy. Um, to raise the birth rate because this is a fraught conversation. Um, that politics, I, I think, understand that the politicians, um, I think, understandably, um, aren't touching with a 10-foot pole. 
Um, so if we did want to pursue uh, a pro-natalist family policy, um, there are a, there's a mix of policies out there uh, that we could be pursuing that have been shown empirically to, to lead to higher birth rates or at least promote higher birth rates. Um, so we've uh, made important investments in family policy, but we haven't done so with an eye to increasing the birth rate. Where would we start then, do you think? So um, a case that I talked about, I'm not sure if I mentioned it in the article itself, but I did a kind of tweet thread. Um, so in that tweet thread accompanying the article, I mentioned Germany. Um, so Germany at the beginning of the 21st century had one of the world's lowest birth rates. And if you want to talk about a country where the topic of pronatalism was fraught, yeah. um, <laughs> Germany is right at the top of the list when you look at the experience of Nazi Germany. Um, you know, you look at the pronatalism policies under Hitler. Um, but Germany, under the Merkel government in particular, um, specifically implemented family policies that were targeted at women working full-time hours, um, that were targeted at making motherhood uh, more feasible for women in full-time employment. Um, so one was well-compensated maternal leave um, with um, about 66% replacement rate. I believe we have 55% uh, replacement rates here in Canada. Um, and the second was greatly increasing access to center-based childcare uh, to the extent that there was a guarantee um, for any German family um, with a child between the age of one and three for a space in childcare if they wanted it. Um, so with those policies in place, um, Germany over the past 15 or so years has been able to raise its birth rate up to right where the uh, the OECD averages. Um, the averages among Western industrialized countries. Something else that seems to have come up in the, in the aftermath of this piece, and, and uh, I saw you tweeting about it because people have been tweeting to you about it, the whole issue mm. of fertility and, and, you know, for couples that are trying to have children who want mm. to have children and are going through the process of fertility treatments and all of that, it can be very costly, time-consuming. More support there maybe could make a difference. You think that's a part of a, a solution here? Yeah, that's something I wish I'd incorporated in the essay, and I appreciated. Um, I think Ariella Kimmel, there were a few people who, who tweeted kind of the, the IVF piece, the, the more support for older couples um, that want to start families later. I mean, it makes sense that we're getting um, sort of Canadian families that are, that are going to start having children later. I think um, at this day and age, it, it takes longer for um, young people to get established in their careers. Um, student loans, I think, are more of a burden this day and age um, than maybe in the past. So I think it absolutely makes sense um, to also um, have more in place to support um, families that are going to start um, having children a little bit later in life. Um, I think that's also um, that needs to be part of the mix as well. Absolutely. Well, some really interesting, important issues. As mentioned, yeah. your piece, it's up at The Line, theline.substack.com. Raheem, thanks so much for the conversation here this morning. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful morning. You as well. Bye. There you go. That's uh, Raheem Mohammed, a freelance writer and commentator based now in Calgary. His latest up at theline.substack.com on uh, why we need to talk about Canada's baby bias.